Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Today, we got a guest. I am pumped for this guest. This is somebody I've been following on social media for the past five or six years now. Um, fantastic follow. On Instagram, it is Dr. Kickass, and his name is Dr. Mike Pekarski. He's a physical therapist up in Eastern Washington. Mike, how you doing today, dude? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Dude, I'm living the dream. It's a it's a good, what is it, Wednesday night? It's a beautiful Wednesday night. Ready to talk to some people about some fighting stuff. So, Mike, like I said, you're an amazing Instagram follow, but in general, you're a physical therapist. Outside of that, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into working with fighters. Sure. So, uh, I originally started uh, started jiu-jitsu. Um, eventually, jiu-jitsu led to fighting, so I competed in uh, Muay Thai, mixed martial arts, you know, uh, you know, I had my, I remember like my first pro fight, I broke my nose, got 600 bucks. I was like, you know, this might not be like a good long-term <laughs> career path, you know? It's yeah. a trade-off. It probably paid the hospital bill, right? Uh, they, you know, what's funny. I actually didn't realize I broke my nose initially. So um, when I took this fight, it was in Pennsylvania and um, the athletic state, you know, athletic state uh, commission in, in Pennsylvania was not the best. So I'm pretty sure with what I know now is I had a concussion and a broken nose after the fight. And this is a professional fight too. I never got, I, I never saw a physician. So like, Oh shit. Yeah. I don't know if it was, I was just, I don't, I don't think it was like, I, I remember I really wanted pizza. Um, cause I just won my <laughs> fight. I was really hungry, but like, I don't think anyone ever stopped me say, Hey, we got to check you out. So I'm pretty sure I had a concussion. I drove home. So it was like four hours, like to get back home. And then this was on a Friday. And then a Sunday, I had a, a, a buddy who was training for a fight. So I was like, well, I got to, you know, I got to help him. And then he, he, so literally he just jabbed me in the nose once. My nose like pouring blood. I was like, you know what? I think my nose is broken. Let me take some time off, uh, which was a blessing. Because again, with yeah. what I know now, I am fairly certain I also had a concussion. But because I was worried about the broken nose, I took six weeks off. So right. I didn't have any like long-term repercussions. Yeah, uh, it gave your brain a little bit of time to heal, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after that, I was like, you know what, you know, and, and I wasn't planning on stop fighting. It just was a thing where, you know, I started going to school, and then, um, you know, like once I was in PT school, I was like, you know, it's it's probably going to be hard to fight while I'm also in school, because um, fighting is one of those things you're either all in or all out, and if you're not all in, don't do it. So, um, yep. you know, so then after school. Um, I just started, I, I just kept training. I kept competing in jujitsu. Um, and then, you know, I, I developed my Instagram handle. It was, it was originally just meant as like, I was, I was annoyed because I would, um, I'd be leg locking these guys. I was like rolling with a, a purple belt and I'd straight ink lock them, which is legal in gi, no gi. I think it's illegal in like kids divisions. And he would tap super fast. He's like, man, I don't play leg locks. I was like, this is a straight ink clock. Like this is legal in white belt divisions. So, yeah. 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 So I, 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 so I developed my Instagram handle because of that, because I was so annoyed of like people not really understanding the difference between a heel hook and a straight ink clock. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then it's developed into, you have the best injury breakdowns that I've seen, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. interesting, man. I, I love what you do. And I love how recent they are to like the, the UFC, there's an event. And then that Monday you have yeah. the next breakdown out on whatever injury happened. But yeah. where did that idea come from to like literally step-by-step step analyze an injury and really put it out to the world? 
You know, so again, it wasn't a planned thing. I, I think it was simply reactive. There was one event. I forget which there was. I, I don't remember even the event, but there was one event where something happened. People were like, what happened? And I was like, I think I posted. I think this is what it was. And, you know, I don't always get them right. Like I do get them wrong. Like I'm not going to pretend like I know everything. Like it's one of those yeah. things without doing like yeah. an actual hands-on assessment. It's, it's always a hypothesis, you know, and then people like started to expecting it. So then I was like, all right, I guess this is my thing. I, I, I'm giving my wife, uh, uh, I'm giving her a break though. Cause I used to try to do it like the night of the event. Like you'd be like 10 AM, 10 PM. <laughs> I'm like, I gotta get this out. Now I wait until the next day. I don't rush it now. Right. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And so where did you, so going back to kind of the history, where do you go to PT school? Uh, Stony Brook, uh, New York. It's uh, long Island. Okay. Nice. You like it out there? Stony Brook, I think. Uh, you know, so, um, I have no, no intention of moving back to New York, but I did like Long Island more than anywhere else that I lived in New York. Okay. What is, so I've never been, I've only been to upstate New York. What, like, what's the difference between Long Island and like regular New York, New York? Well, like New York, New York is like city, like it's crazy. It's chaotic. Um, being in Long Island, so I was in Suffolk. So I was about like an hour and a half outside of New York city. So it was suburb. Oh, so was okay. Like, Got you. So it's all suburban. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Nice, dude. Nice. And then, so the other thing is something I really want to pick your brain about outside of just the breakdowns and injuries in general is kin stretch. Hmm. I know I've, when I've looked into it, so I'm a big DNS guy. That's my background. Hmm. Um, and then so a little bit of PRI and I've done here and there FRC stuff, hmm. yeah. but kin struts for jujitsu seems to be your bread and butter. Yeah. What about it makes it so good for the jujitsu athlete? So, I mean, like, so, so I, I think Kim Church is really good for anybody. It's just a system of joint health. Um, yep. I think it's really good for jiu-jitsu because, like, what do we do in jiu-jitsu? Like, we're trying to break our joints. So we probably should try to keep them as healthy as possible. <laughs> yeah. You know? Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so – because, you know, you look at, like it, – it's so interesting when I watch these, like, uh, like a lot of these, like, middle-aged – like, when I say middle-aged, I'm talking about, like, 30s and 40s black belts. And these dudes just, like, hobble onto the mats and they're like, I'm not doing that warm-up. I'm not doing that technique. It's all because, like, their body is so broken. Uh, And some of it could be just, like, they don't go get medical care, but it's just, like, they don't take care of the body. Like, you know, if you could think of anything when you're working with a fighter or jiu-jitsu athlete or a wrestler, it's like, how can we just keep their body as healthy as possible so their body can perform the way that, you know, they want? Right. And that's like for, so for the people at home, what exactly, you said it's a system of keeping the joints basically healthy, right? Is it a lot of end range movements for the most part? Yeah. So it's a combination of isolated joint movements, which should be controlled articular rotations. Mm -hmm. Um, And then again, we can use as both as like, just kind of like a, almost like a joint floss. Like we take our joint through its healthy range just to maintain joint health. We can do it as like a training perspective. So we can do it like high irradiation for tension um we could do as a reinforcement um so like maybe and then i might include some type of end range isometric and then again reinforce it with cars and there's a lot of other different movements within kin stretch Um, and by the way for people who understand um kin stretch is essentially like a group frc class so frc is functional range conditioning um the difference is, is if like let's say i'm doing kin stretch uh I'm not necessarily working with you directly. So it might not be as like specific as I would like, but it's what will be just good for, you know, and for for me, like I pick jujitsu, right? So I'm like, what is likely an issue with someone who does jujitsu? And then, you know, I I create a class around that. Yeah. What are some of the like most common things that you see that you can address as a physical therapist or um, you're black belt, correct? Correct. 
Are you, do you coach classes? Are you leading classes yeah. in jujitsu? Do you incorporate some of those kin stretch into your jujitsu class? Sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't. And the problem is, is because like, if you take a class, right? So like, let's say you're like, I'm teaching a class. Um, the place that I train at, um, the guy really likes me teaching leg locks because it's like something that he's not great at. So I just end up teaching a lot of leg locks, sure. which is like, I'm like, I do other things guys. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like, so if I teach like three jujitsu techniques, the problem is, is if I start doing a lot of kin stretch stuff, that's, it's almost like taking away from a jujitsu technique. So like, yeah. I gotta kind of have to pick my battle. Uh, like today, um, you know, I wasn't teaching class, but I was in class and like the, the owner was like, Hey, just like run us through like a cool down. So I just did like a basic kin stretch shoulder cool down, which included some, some cars and some, you know, some end range isometrics. And, you know, it was just like a nice way to like end class. Right. right. I don't always allows, do. Well, what's right. cool is it allows them, cause you could pair that up with breathing too. And then it allows them to just literally just go straight down and get out of that fight or flight response yep. and leave the way, like I tell my fighters, you should leave at the same heart rate that you enter. Yep. Right. Yep. If, yep. if you're not doing that, you probably fucked up in some way, yep. shape or form. Yeah. And sometimes um, I do do that. Like I, I don't always make it part of the class. Like a, sometimes I would generally I'll do it when the, when the owner says, Hey, can you do a cool down? And then I'll do some type of breathing, diaphragmic breathing focused, just kind of get the parasympathetic state kicking in. Sometimes I do it myself. Like I don't do it for the class. Cause sometimes I also like do my conditioning after jujitsu and then okay. I end with my breathing. So it kind of depends on, you know, sometimes people like leave right away. So then I, I don't want to like hold them to do this sort of thing. Right. No, okay. that makes sense. And, and like, I, I sympathize with that. Like I was just talking about, I'm running here from wrestling practice yeah. where I'm both an assistant coach and the strength coach. Right. So yeah. it's like, I'm trying to na navigate and negotiate my time with like, how much do I spend on X skill? How much do I just need to make them better wrestlers? How much yeah. like, and you're right. You kind of weigh the pros and cons and yeah. have to read the context there. Yeah. So Mike, what are some of the most common injuries you see in the grappling athlete? So, I mean, if you look at both what I see and both what literature says is like the most common knee injury, specifically, uh, sorry, the most common jujitsu injury is the knee, like across the board, yeah. uh, which kind of makes sense is, and even though like people always jump to leg locks, I honestly, it's, I mean, yeah, leg locks are a thing, but honestly it's, it's a combination of like takedowns and positional scrambles. Um, you as a wrestling coach, I'm, I'm curious your take on it when you work with jujitsu athletes, but like. Um, it's funny cause people like, well, I don't want to do wrestling cause I'm going to get hurt. But ultimately like, again, like when I started jujitsu, it was because jujitsu was a fighting art. So I'm like, how do you make jujitsu effective? Like you need to get the guy to get ground. If you can't get him in the ground, it's useless. And, and then what happens is you have these guys that they spend, like they spend, I don't know, maybe 98% of their mat time on their butt. And then they go to a tournament where you're standing. So now it's like, you're spending like half the match on your feet. You don't know what you're doing. And in my opinion, a lot of these injuries happen because people have poor wrestling responses. They just react badly, you know, like very simple things. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, knee is a, the most common injury for both judo and wrestling as well. But, and that's you know, what I was getting, say, yeah. yeah, but still like it just, just like learning good, like how to fall correctly, how to just not like seize up. It'd just be a way that you can kind of reduce injuries. Um, you know, and then like positional scrambles too, like people just scrambling for position, like stuff happens and, you know, um, but then there is always leg locks, heel hooks, et cetera, which are becoming much more common um, in this modern, I wouldn't say, I would say like the last eight years, uh, leg locks have like really skyrocketed in their popularity. 
dude. And it's been honestly, so I, me and Alex both wrestled in college. It's how we know each other. Um, and that's been the most frustrating thing when I go to a jujitsu class is I just want to wrestle just a little bit, just a little bit. And then there's a butt scooter just scooting right at me going after my fucking ankle. And I'm like, just stand the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just do a little stand up. But what's, what's cool is like, I see the exact same thing, right? It's a lot of knees, but then it's a lot of low backs Hmm. like disguised as knees too. Right. It's, there's so many disc problems in, yeah. in the grappling athlete from getting stuck underneath yeah. and shots and everything. And does you, do you with kin stretch, are you able to go after like the end range of like the spine as well for yeah. like, like, like McKenzie protocol, stuff like that, yeah. or um, neurodynamics. Do you implement that as like a preventative measure or do you go after that in a separate sense of, Hey, they're having these symptoms. Let's go, let's hit it hard. Yeah, so if someone has ridiculous symptom, then I would address the ridiculous symptoms, but I wouldn't gotcha. do like a preemptive that. Um, for from like a kin stretch perspective, like how I would handle the spine is like t- is a concept called like spine segmentation. You take the spine, right? It's not one joint; it's every segment's a joint. So you got five lumbar vertebrae, you got twelve thoracic, seven cervical, the sacrum, which is a fused joint. And I want to try to make sure that every joint has the like potential for movement. Because unfortunately, jiu-jitsu, even more than wrestling, but jiu-jitsu is like a flexion-based sport. Like pretty much any guard, anytime your knee comes to your chest, you're in a, a, a rounded position, which which we know isn't ideal for like true spine health. But like neutral spine just doesn't exist in jiu-jitsu. But then you could take wrestling, for example. Like again, let's you know we'll pick on the jiu-jitsu guys with bad jiu-jitsu form. Like they have terrible jiu-jitsu, they have terrible standing posture, and then they shoot at a position. They're trying to pick somebody up with their low back, and you know that's a common way that you're going to see people hurt their backs, right? Yep. yep. Um, so for me, from a from a health perspective, is, is I want to try to create uh, the ability to try to create this spinal segmentation, which is. You know, if you've never done it before, it's a little bit tricky because people just don't have this motor control. But there's a few exercises I do to help motor control. And then from there, I can start doing various end range isometrics, specifically in flexion when we know that's where the, the spine is most vulnerable. Okay. 100%. Yeah. I, uh, I was probably, you know, I've been a strength coach six, seven years. And like five years ago, I had my like meathead strength coach movement. It's like, oh shit, wrestling and jujitsu, like, locks up your spine more than it mobilizes your spine. Right. Cause that's yeah. almost what I think is like conventional wisdom is like, all right, you do jujitsu, you wrestle. Okay. You're going to be super flexible. Yeah. Not the case, right? Like you're spending so much time isometrically controlling position and, and locking yourself up. Like almost none of these guys. And like, I see it a lot in fighters. They have no thoracic mobility at all. they like, they don't know how to move their T spine. So yeah. I guess, Specifically, if you could just like describe one or two, what are you like some of your go-to spinal segmentation exercises and how do you really like cue them or get athletes to pay attention to that? Because we've all had athletes that are like, what's this weird yoga yeah. shit that this guy's Dude, doing? Dude, I, I try to get my athletes to fucking breathe and or to do like a, like a spine car, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And they just look at me like, why the fuck am I spending this much time trying to move my spine segmentally? So- yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so if you got any tips. Like- I mean, uh, so an easy one that I would do with if I have the per- if I have the person the athlete with me, have them lay on their back. I could put my hands underneath their back and try to like kind of cue them for getting certain palpation. And generally, because we know that if if they've never done this before, they're going to poor motor control. So I can kind of use I can change like the width of the, of what they feel on their back. So I can use my hand. I can start going like three fingers, two fingers, etc. Uh, some of the things that they can do on their own is literally just like gluing their spine onto a wall and then just trying to like 
one segment at a time kind of come off the wall so we can use the wall to give them that tactile um, tactile control so they're like oh i shouldn't you're like you know when you when they do this for the first time they're like oh my whole back ripped off the wall like yeah like let's try to go one segment at a time uh another easy one i do is just going to be like a segmental bridge so like you're on your butt you do a glute bridge and then you're trying to come down one segment at a time coming from like kind of like your mid thoracic all the way down to your lumbar spine so those are two easy uh exercises that i like home exercise i'll use to kind of give people a little bit more tactile awareness if I'm not there with them. Nice. Well, and something you had said, we were talking a little bit before the podcast was you said you're doing a lot of stuff remote, right? Mm, correct. How is that going? Cause that's a world that I've thought about and it seems yeah. really cool to get into. Um, yeah. I just, I don't even know where to start. Dude, right? That seems like a nightmare for queuing. Like you're just like constantly having to talk through yeah. things. Yeah. But so as far I mean, as, that- yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's the trick. So like you're going to run into like a few common things that people do. Um, and then a lot of it's just trial and error. Like how are people responding? So, you know, like, yeah. cause, cause I've done all this stuff with people in person, I'm still doing this in person and then I'm seeing where, so then I just kind of like build those, those cues. Like if this is happening, try this, you know, oh is it as good as having someone in person? No. But again, if, if I'm with someone who like they want to work with me because they have no provider who kind of like, does what I do. It's either nobody. So, you know, again, honestly, it works pretty good because if you think like when you're live, like when you're with someone like in person, Mm -hmm. you can educate them, but then where's that follow up? You're like, are people doing it correctly? Versus if I have the, the film already, already, uh, recorded, they can essentially watch it over and over and over again. So, that helps with I, them doing it correctly. Nice. I didn't even yeah, think nice. about that. You could record it and then just send it to them after. That's fucking genius. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So like that's something that we – I mean actually our last podcast right before this, we were talking about the pros and cons of online training versus yeah. in-person training, right? Yeah. It's, it's very similar, right? My goal or our goal with building a fighter is if you're in bumfuck Alaska, can I still get you a high-quality program that you can do with whatever gym you have access to? Exactly. And it's, it's the same thing with like, that's yeah. why I'm interested in the online rehab space yeah. is, is the same thing. If you're in bumfuck Alaska, can you yeah. still get 85%? Yep. Yeah. And that, and that's going to be 85% better than zero. Yeah. hundred percent. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, outside of like the queuing fl- or the queuing, I guess, tricks, are there any pitfalls you've seen so far with working online? Yeah. I mean, so like, it doesn't work for everybody. Like some people, okay. you know, like they can either get overwhelmed with the content you know, or like they just don't communicate with me. So as opposed to like, if someone comes into me, sees me in person, like they're going to do it cause I'm there. But right. then some other people, it's like, I don't know how compliant they are. And you try to build some things in, like, you know, you give them a workout and they can check off that they complete it. And then even, but then I'll talk to people like, Oh yeah, I did every workout. I just forgot to click it. I'm like, what do you, you know? <laughs> sure. So, so that's, sure, bud. you know, and then like a lot of times what I can do is I'm like, Hey, like, send me a video of you doing the movement and, and I can't necessarily give them um, like real life, like real time cue, but I can say, Hey, next time try this instead. Um, yeah. But if, if they don't tell me what's going on or they don't record, like, I don't know what's going on, you know? So right. that, that's a problem. So it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. 100%. Well, I'm sure it works well with the, it's, it probably comes down to motivation too, right? Whether they're externally motivated versus internally motivated. Like if, yeah. if they can motivate themselves, they probably do really well with online rehab versus Absolutely. like if you, if you need to be per somebody that's prodded, that ain't gonna work for you. Absolutely. So, so 
you're doing physical therapy sessions in person. You're teaching jujitsu classes online. Um, physical therapy. You're doing strength and conditioning as well. I kind of see that you're a performance coach as well. Yeah. So do. you're doing you do everything. A lot. You do a lot you're of a busy shit. guy. You're a hustler. We love it. <laughs> we love it. Um, yeah. Have you seen a big benefit in having, I guess, eyes from each of those perspectives? Have you been able to like kind of be this guy that wears many hats, but also like grow and learn from each hat and then play off of it? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So you take rehab and strength and conditioning, which honestly, I think they're the same thing, just different spectrums, you know, you know, injury we're dealing with, you know, early rehab, we're dealing with an injury. And then, you know, the, the strength and conditioning is there is no injury. So I think there's a lot of connection. Um, and in my opinion, and I'm sure you see this in the chiro world, there's PTs and chiros that are really good at acute management, but the second people don't have pain, they're like, they don't know what to do. And that's normally when strength condition would, would come in. And then there's also some of these strength coaches that like someone comes in with an injury and they're like trying to be like these pseudo PTs and, and they're trying to like figure things out, which personally obviously is a problem because they don't like, they don't have the diagnostic skills. So so the fact that I can kind of be in both world is really helpful. Uh, very specific. And I think the thing that I do best is honestly the return to sport aspect. So there's the rehab, strength and conditioning, return to sport. And because there's that poor disconnect, you know, like there's a lot of people, you take ACLs, right? So we know that return to sports should be about nine months. PT usually ends around five months. So I think he'll come back. Yeah, I think he's just got to reload his screen, but keep going for the time being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you take ACL rehab, right? You know, people are, um, uh, you know, uh, return to sports nine months. People get done with rehab at five. So there's this four-month period where they're like, well, what do we do? And it's just the, you know, the doctor says, oh, just, you know, go light. I'm like, what What does that mean? So (laughs) I like to bridge that gap of how do we make – how do we get you towards from a rehab perspective to a strength and conditioning to a return to sport? Yeah, no, I, you're a hundred percent right. Right. Nail on the head. And like, as a strength coach, I, I'm that guy that they like come to is like, Hey, this hurts. What do I do? It's like, I don't know. Like I can probably make it feel better right now, but I'm not, I don't actually know what's going on. So, um, so I feel your pain in that sense. And again, hundred percent agree with you that like that middle gap of like, I'm almost ready to practice, but I'm not quite ready to compete. Like, what do I do in that middle gap? So I think that's that's a huge role that that you fill really well. But where does the um, like the sport coach side of things, the being a black belt, where does that that skill, I guess, come into the the repertoire? Well, then you have to think like, okay, so like, let's say you're working with an athlete. Like, and I see this a lot. And I'm sure you see this too. Where you take a fighter, they're working with a strength coach. What is the strength coach's background? It's football. So they're just doing football strength conditioning. Yes, okay, getting strong obviously is going to be good. Getting fast, yes, that's all good. But, like, does that strength coach really understand fighting or grappling? And I think it's a problem. Like, okay, a perfect example. Okay, so um, Tony Ferguson – He's just, he just yes, posted something. Please, I wanted to training. ask you about this. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Tony Ferguson's training with David Goggins, right? Which mm-hmm. is a terrible idea because <laughs> like, because the thing is, is like essentially what he's just trying to do is David Goggins is just trying to like mentally push, mentally push him to the limit and see if he can get Tony Ferguson to crack. The problem is, is like, that's not needed for fighting. Like maybe if like Tony Ferguson is like f- six months away from a fight. Sure. Why not? Right. 
So like he's going through this hell week. He's breaking his body down, and he's supposed to fight Patty, uh, Patty the Batty in like five weeks. But like, oh like you know, so it, it, did he peak for this? And then like, what's going to happen for the next five weeks? He's going to be broken. He's going to be sore. Like he probably did no skill training. Uh, he probably did no skill training while he was training with David Goggins. So it was like, I don't get what he's trying to do. And then you have to take like the context of fighting, right? So you take wrestling, right? Wrestling's what? Three, uh, two, three minute rounds, correct? Yep. 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 For international style. Yeah. And then you take MMA, which pro MMA is three, five minute rounds. Then you take jujitsu can be anywhere from a five to a 10 minute round. So they all have like different times. So you kind of train them differently, right? Like, so like a fighter, even though, you know, a fighter has to be explosive. They also need to make sure that they can go 15 to 25 minutes. You know, then you take someone like David Goggins, who's like pushing Tony Ferguson for hours. So like, where's the transfer? Like, how does that help him for fighting? You know what I mean? Yeah. Th- yeah. This there's, it's, there's no fight that lasts hours, right? Totally. That's physically nope. impossible, but <laughs> that, I don't know. Yeah. That's a super interesting point. And like, I even kind of saw it on your story where it's like, yeah. David Goggins is like, is he going to win his next fight? I don't know. Right. Cause that has nothing to fucking do with fighting. Right. Yeah. And so that's super interesting on that perspective. How much of that, that like mental toughness thing or that like uh, grind do you have to fight through as a practitioner, as a yeah. coach per se? Yeah. You know, I mean, again, like you, you, you work with athletes, so you get it. And I mean, it, like there is something that you need to be able to do, but I feel like, like for me, like I went through like my first few fights, like you went through, like going through that point where like you're losing and you got to battle back. That's not Tony mm-hmm. Ferguson's problem. Like, he, I don't know how many fights he has, like 30 fights. He's yeah. never once quit in any of his fights. Like, you know, you have his fight with uh, Charles Oliveira. He got his arm snapped. He didn't oh quit. God. He kept going. Um, he was fighting yep. Benel Dariush. I, I think he let his knee pop. Like, again, like he has never shown that he is uh, he's a quitter. He's never shown that he's had poor cardio. So it just like it makes zero sense for him to work with David Goggins. Where I think it makes most sense, and let me let me push back on you a little bit, is financially and publicity wise. Yeah, that's that's that. the angle I think that they're yeah. taking. Yeah. He's trying to show you know, that he he can push. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, again, I could see that. Okay, but you know, like you, I think like Tony Ferguson, and I know like he himself has kind of done like a lot of crazy training routines. Like his training routine's never been normal. Um, right. I, and I think his problem is like, he's his own coach. Like he keeps moving and training with different teams. He's like, Oh, I need to work my jujitsu. I need to work my striking. Oh, I'm going to go back to my wrestling roots. But then like, you don't actually see it, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is adding on top of not just Tony in general, cause you said like he can push, right? Maybe mm-hmm. he has a better opportunity to focus on some skills, right? It's a little bit more skill training. And even though he's had 30 fights, maybe that's what he's missing to where he can win this next fight against, but he's fighting Patty, right? That's, yeah, that's yeah, the main yeah. fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I hope he beats him. Yeah. But, but again, like, I, I do think if you look at his last few fights, I do think it's a skill issue that he's, he's, he's doing. Like yeah. when he was fighting Bobby green, I forget if he even went for a takedown, but like, I mean, how, like he was like clearly losing on the feet and like for Tony Ferguson, his wrestling is supposed to be his base. Like I'm pretty right. sure he was a really good right. college wrestler. Yes. Yeah. He was a, right. I think he was a D two national champ or yes. all American. And then, like, yeah. 
you know, and I'm not saying that like, you know, obviously Bobby Green's a tough fighter, but like, I don't think Tony Ferguson got close on a takedown. Like there was definite skill issues that he needs to work on, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe we can sum that up and say there's a lack of like self-awareness, right? Like I kind of like the idea of being your own head coach or like managing your personal progression really well, but you can't do that hundred percent if you're not one self-aware or two, you don't have good people around you. Right. And like, or not even good people, the right people, you know, because like David Goggins is as good of a, a person he is to have around to be motivational and all this stuff. That's not the right person for yeah. Tony Ferguson. Yeah. So so if you're going to be your self-manager, your own head coach, I think there's a whole different skill set that comes yeah. along with being successful. In that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny that you bring that up is because I actually when I was fighting, I had a coach that was like very like regimented, like do this and do that. You know, and like I did okay, like I was an okay fighter. Um, yeah. But when I left him and I, I went to PT school and I, I was, I started taking control of my own skill development. And I feel like I really skyrocketed from that point versus yeah. before I like kind of plateaued because I myself am not trying to like problem solve a skill versus once I had the self awareness of this is, this is a deficit. How do I get there? And I, you know, I've had coaches where that I could ask. And then I remember me coming up with the questions to ask them. And then I, I kind of figured it out myself. <laughs> well, I feel like that's something you have to grow into though. Like yeah. you could, you couldn't ask like a, uh, four and O amateur, a four and one amateur to take over their own career. Right. But when right. you get to the level of Tony Ferguson or like, that's something that, uh, Henry Cejudo is very big on is that he's his own head coach and yeah. he puts the people around him. And when you get to that level of an athlete, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. You know your body so well at that point that there's a certain response that you need to get at a certain point of training, and nobody else can tell you what to do other than your own body. Yeah. But I agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I think – oh, go ahead. Well, I was, I was actually going to move into something else. I want to learn about some books and shit. <laughs> All right. Books and shit. Okay. I like books and shit. Sounds like, sounds like doctor stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> as far as clinical research or as far as the clinical side of everything goes, are there yeah. any books that you really, really took to heart as you were going through PT school that helped you where you're at now? Books. Um, you talking from like a rehab perspective or just anything? Re- rehab perspective. Honestly, anything works, but I'm talking yeah. more from a rehab perspective right now. You know, Honestly, it's not rehab, but it is uh, strength conditioning. But Joel Jameson's book, his uh, MMA, was it eight weeks out or whatever? Dude, yeah, there every, we go. Everybody uh, plugs that one. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's such a, that was, I mean, it, it's, it's cool because, like, obviously, you know, fighting is the sports we're interested. That is a good book, regardless of what your sport is. And it was yeah. just, you know, like, like I take that to heart. Like, I mean, just based on, like, you know, having having a good plan like how are we going to improve conditioning because you still see a lot of these these old school guys that don't really know how we want to improve conditioning they just work hard which i don't know what that means but it's just not specific and you know like looking at joel jameson like he really um i don't know he just he just really changed how to program for conditioning for me and and he's got a course and uh, i think the course is good the book I don't know how much better the course was than the book itself. Like, I don't know if I got a ton more from it, but, yeah. uh, you know, I thought the book was very helpful. The dude, the book is so plug and play, especially with, yeah. you can read everything about it. You can get the full in-depth and then there's the yeah. tables right at the end on yeah. this is the actual implementable knowledge and yeah, something right. else. Like why I think personally, I suggest that to every up and coming PT Cairo that talks to me hmm. is energy system development should be a consideration of your rehab. 
right? If you're rehabbing an athlete, you should know what their energy system demands are going to be because good rehab takes that into consideration and preps them for it. Otherwise, you could be as strong as you want. You could make that knee strong as fuck. But if they can't actually use it over and over and over again without degradation, then there's no reason then then you're failing your athlete. Yeah, and, uh, and, and even to add on top of that, so we're, we're with a injured athlete, right? They can't really do their sport. But the problem is, is like then we get back to sport and now their conditioning is terrible because they haven't trained for however many weeks or months. Yep. So like why don't we build up their conditioning so by the time they get back to sport, there's none of that. Because a lot of times a lot of, a lot of injuries happen in a fatigue state. So like – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you were talking about this with the knee injuries, right? And the wrestling yeah. and the inadequate reaction time. Like it's not – just that I'm inexperienced in my wrestling or I'm bad at my wrestling is like, I get really tired and then I have to wrestle really hard when I'm tired. Right. So all of that's a factor, right? Because, and that's what I go through coaching high school wrestlers, right? It's like, I don't know how to do this thing. So I'm going to do it really hard. You're inexperienced or we're going to wrestle really hard at the end of practice and put our live goes there for some reason. And then we get injured because we don't have good reaction time or we have a bad reaction because we're injured or because we're uh, tired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so how much of, I guess, Kinstrat goes into like functional capacity work? Like, so being able to get our, so absolute capacity, right? The most you could lift or the full end range or whatever. And then functional capacity is how much can you do well? How much can you control? How much can you get to that point without getting into a passive tissue structure? Is there, yeah. is there something there in adding kin stretch into, I'm thinking, I'm trying to play with how would I implement this in my own system? Yeah. I would probably implement it with my energy system development too. So that under fatigue, once, once we get a base level of competency yeah. under fatigue, they're getting their functional capacity as close to their absolute capacity. Is that yeah, something I mean, that could, lines up so to say? Yeah. I mean, you could definitely build that in if you need to. I mean, okay. like, so you take, when we say kin stretch again, kin stretch is a group and there's a lot of different spectrums of it. Right. Um, and so range like, training. Take, yeah. yeah. And range training, but like you could take like functional range conditioning, which is like, just how do we train a joint? And, you know, they have, they have a course to the functional range system, which is like the internal strength model, which oh, is okay. how do we take this and how do we build it into strength and conditioning? Um, because if you, if you're like, well, I need to do skill training and my cardio and my strength work and my joint work, I'm like, what do you do? Like, I mean, that's like eight hours a day. Like, what right. are you doing if you're not a professional <laughs> UFC athlete, right? So, you know, I, I feel that the um, the internal strength model was a great course because it gives me a good idea how to integrate everything. Okay. Yeah. Got you. No, I, that- did the, I did the FRC maybe a month ago, a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. and they were really pushing that, that co- yeah. course. And it seems like a great yeah. – um, yeah, like you said, interweaving of the principles. Yeah. I mean, from a strength coach perspective, like, so FRC is kind of like the intro. Like, you learn all this stuff and it's cool, but like, then you're like, well, how do I actually, where do I fit it in? And I right. feel like the, the internal strength model, like, fits it in and actually goes into programming. Cause like, I took the FRC in like 2017. And then I took, okay. I think I either took, uh, I think I took the strength course in like 21 or 22, maybe 21. Um, but then for like four years, it was like, well, I have these, these tools, but I didn't really know where to fit it in. And that kind of like just wrapped everything together. Okay. And then, so with the internal strength model, um, that, so talking about, I mean, me being a DNS guy, most of my lens is through that check system where it's all based around central structure, all based around joint centration. Something that we go over a lot is like functional centration. So can I maximize the surface area of the joint as much as I can and and synergize, quote unquote, muscle pulls in a direction? Um, 
when I pair my FRC with a DNS breathing concept, magic shit happens. Hmm. <laughs> like you get to see the light on their face when they stabilize correctly and move through the different systems. Hmm. And I, what I really, where I'm layering this in is, are there any other systems that you think pair really well with FRC or like the, the entire FR system, so to say? So, I mean, again, I, I've only taken DNS uh, exercise one. I was actually hoping to take their strength course, but it's like, it's anyway. Um, yeah, so yeah. from what yeah. talking to people, uh, the DNS, I, I do actually really like from what I've learned. Like uh, I'm friends with Mike Rintala, um oh, and no we shit. talked quite a, yeah. Um, I actually, I, I brought him up to teach a course in Sacramento when I was over there. So that was pretty cool. Okay. Um, I can love that yeah. guy. He's well, like Yoda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he, well, cause so I actually, so I got into DNS because he reached out to me because he wanted to say, Hey, like DNS is great for grappling. And, and I, obviously you take a lot of those patterns where you're on the ground. Like it's right. very easy to see how it compares to jujitsu. But the problem that he had is like, he's a blue belt, you know? So it's like, I think he wanted to create a group of people to like, we, 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 so it would be, we created this course. It was like the treating the grappling athlete. Okay. And we took like a whole bunch of experts from different area. And again, his thing was kind of talking about DNS. Um, I do really like D for me for, again, I've only taken one course yeah. where I feel like DNS works the best is because like you take people that do like a lot of core training, which is like, just like, it doesn't, most people that are athletes probably have decently strong core. It's a poor integration problem, which is where I think DNS solves everything, yep. you know? Yeah. Or you take like lifting patterns. Like what do a lot of lifters do is they just kind of do Valsalva, which is like you just hold your breath like you're going to just – that's how people get hernia <laughs> – like, you know, uh, yeah. you know, like, you know, they, they did get hernia issues. So, you know, so so that's where I feel that DNS would fit in is like learning how to stabilize properly. Gotcha. You know how things go. You only have – like yeah. I, I'm, I'm going through the course. I'm, I'm hoping more courses <laughs> can come around near me. Um, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was really sad that I missed the strength course. Because it was actually in Portland, so it was super close. But anyway, yeah. I know Rich. So Rich is the one that does. It. So Rich is a good yeah. buddy of mine. Uh, he yeah. he's coming back out to Portland probably next year. I would assume. Oh yes. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I would assume he likes to hit Portland at least once a year because one of our. So actually, my clinician before I left Portland hmm. is one of his good buddies as well. So he always hosts him. And oh, they cool. just like, nice. they like drinking wine and fucking around and hanging out. So I'm sure he'll be there with, <laughs> so let's the have year. a course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how you nice. pay for vacations. When you're what we yeah. do, you just go yeah, put a course yeah, there. Yeah. It pays for the whole thing. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. How, uh, uh, I wanted to ask, how was that, that creating the online course and, and, and kind of putting it out there? What was that process like? Or how, did you enjoy that process? What kind of return did you see from putting that course together? That's something that, building fighter we want to move into hmm. as kind of these combat sports specialists so what was that process like what did you learn from it did you like it how did it go uh so i originally started putting kinstrad out during covid so it was one of those things where like you know like the world ended and you're like what do i do <laughs> yeah. now uh so that's where i started um like early stuff was like dealing with like because i'm not a film guy so you know you first you film and then you realize like you know, the, the quality isn't great. And then you got to refilm. And, and then I was able to upgrade I was, I was training at a place. A guy let me use his gym. So now I'm on a jitsu mat. So it looks cleaner, uh, playing with sound. Um, I think the, the, the frustrating thing with like filming content is like, you don't know how it came out until you go look at it. So like I've done, 
you know, there's like one time I filmed something, it was like 30 minutes of content, and I come back home and I realized the mic wasn't plugged in. So it was like, oh, you got to throw it all out. Yeah. Oh, no. um, I mean, the upside is it's uh, like once it's done, it's done. Right. Yeah. And like, like sometimes I'll go back and I'll refilm stuff because I look at something and I'm like, well, I can cue things better now or I can make it better. So I, I do go back. Um, yeah. It is a hassle for me, though, just because like pretty much wherever I go now, like uh, the gym will like let me film this stuff, but I kind of have to wait for people to not be there. So like when I was in Sacramento, like to ensure that nobody was there, like I would show up at like 7am and like, it kind of sucks to like wake up super early, fly over film and like get out before people start coming by. Right. Right. For sure. And that's gotta be a pain in the ass too, because like if you sometimes need models too, I'm assuming like for some of the courses and then you got to get them there at 7am and fighters are not the most timely. I don't know. I don't know if people at home know that, but (laughs) I have a separate time. Like when I have a fighter coming in, I already know that I have at least 10 minutes of wiggle room that I could play Uh, around on the computer. It's terrible. (laughs) And then, so for your course is it's treating the jujitsu athlete, right? That's the name of it. Awesome. Um, Is it, how did it go about getting CEs? Cause that's something that it seems like it's harder than it should be. Yeah, it is. So Tree the Jiu-Jitsu Athlete, that was actually a lot of fun because essentially, you know, so like pretty much like where this came from was, you know, I'd have people say, hey, what resources would you recommend? What, how can I do what you do? And I was like, yeah, like there was, there was no source. It's pretty much me just collecting content. Like I read a paper and I just store, I read a paper Mm -hmm. and then I'm just kind of collecting more and more information. And obviously with my social media, it's like very small, like glimpse of everything. Right. So I've been collecting that for years. And then I kept getting frustrated saying like, there's nothing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Um, So with that process, like, you know, again, I I just kind of like went through um, research, everything I could find on, on fighting, on, Mm -hmm. on grappling. The problem was I got so much stuff. I had to split it into two courses. So I'm I'm working on a striking one because striking and grappling are obviously different. Right. Um, so the jiu-jitsu athlete is just focused because like I'm a jiu-jitsu guy. Like I, I have more credibility than if I start talking about judo or wrestling, which honestly like grappling is grappling. Like they're all like pretty much the same thing. Just the rules of how you win are different. Yeah. Right. right. It's so, um, so first obviously it was collecting and just kind of get as much information as possible. Getting CEUs wasn't that bad for physical therapists. Cause there's like this one company out there that like they subcontract. So I can go through them and w- w- if okay. they, if they get approved that it covers, like, I think it was like 43 U S states. Um, okay. so that helps a lot for physical therapists. Um, I've also was trying to expand. So then I went to go get uh, certified through athletic trainers, which was like, it was like so frustrating. Like I had a, <laughs> One of my buddies, he's a he's a, a doctor of athletic trainer over at the the college that I live by. Okay. So like yeah. he's an athletic trainer, he, he's a professor. So like I needed his help to be like, like this is what they're asking. Like what am I missing? And a lot of it was like really like dumb nitpicky things. Like I didn't put the right uh, logo in the right spot. I'm like, come on, guys. Like oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. So currently, my course is approved for physical therapists and athletic trainers. You know, um, I've thought about Kairos, but I don't know how to go about that one. Dude, don't even, honestly, that's, yeah. it's the hardest shit. So I just went to, no. la- two weekends ago, I was in Dallas for the Neurodynamics Conference. Like we had like yeah. Shacklock, fucking Stecco. It was awesome. Oh, nice. For yeah. whatever reason, Arizona won't let me get any CEUs for that. 
No idea why. No. I was there for fucking no. three days. And oh, it's wow. just each state. So I think PT, it's you get national CEs, right? Right. No, like it's, no, no, it's per state, okay. um, which is also kind of a pain. So, yeah. Okay. Because like Arizona is state to state for Kairos. But then I was yeah. talking to my PT buddies and they were able to the exact same conference. He yeah. got 12 CEUs. I got, yeah. I got zero. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. I mean, for some of them, you can like apply. I don't know if like you okay. can try to like, so what you could do is you could take the course, you could send it to the Arizona Cairo yeah. Association to see if you can get credit. Uh, but like, like to your quote, credit, like, I don't know if there's a Cairo thing to like apply for each state would be right. Terrible. Well, so for Cairo's, there's something called pace that you could do okay. that there's 20 pace states, I believe. Um, okay. and that would get you in. It's just for whatever reason, my stupid ass state ain't one. I think Washington yeah. is though. So that'd be nice. Nice. Um, you said so yeah. pace. Yeah. Pace pa- yeah. Pace. P A C E pace. Okay. I'll look into that because, Hey, I mean, it probably doesn't help you unfortunately, but, uh, well, like I might be able get, to petition it. Like yeah, you said, like I'm, yeah. we, we actively are changing our executive director down in Arizona. So this is all oh, nice. shit that people at home don't yeah. need to care about, but we're changing our ED. So yeah. for that, it's probably gonna get easier, yeah. which would be nice. Yeah. Um, but are you, get... what, what's Sorry, up? Well, I was no, going to no, ask, no, I was I gonna ask you more about you. <laughs> no, no, no. I was, I was going to say something else. You, you can talk. Yeah, dude. I was just going to ask. So you, so strength coach, right? Are you also CSCS as well? Or just kind of like no. more, more or less like self-taught going into performance training? Yeah. Self-taught. So like, I mean, you know, I've read CSCS and I've thought about it and it's so funny and I'm, I'm sure curious how you guys think. So, you know, you take all these other certifications, whatever, like I could take all the FRC, you know, yeah. I'm a, orthopedic yeah. clinical specialist through the APTA. Like I've had no <laughs> people ever come to me because I had any type of bullshit certification. Zero. So, you know, I've had one patient once who wasn't even a fighter who is like, I work with this woman for a year, like cash pay. And then she's like, oh, okay, you know, my ankle's good enough. I'm going to go with this guy now because he's also a CSCS. So it's like, <laughs> I've only had one person ever leave because of that. You know, like no fighter carries of your CSCS. And, and no, I've actually no. posted this on my Instagram. Do you know how many people have come to me because my certifications? Zero. Do you know how many people come to me because I'm a black belt? Like hundreds. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and so you, like, obviously, like you're a wrestler. I'm sure wrestlers come to you because you're like, hey, like, I get it. Like, this guy knows wrestling. Right. You know, unfortunately. Well, dude, and that's, yeah, that, that's 100% how I got in, right? Like yeah. it doesn't matter how good of a strength coach I am as, yeah. as bad as that is to say, it yeah. didn't matter how much of a strength coach I is. I went to our pro team's practice and I grappled. Yeah, right. Exactly. That earned me the result, the yes. respect that earned me so much of an in with my guys. And that's yeah. again, maybe not the best way to judge your practitioner, yeah. your strength coach or whatever, but it, it is what it is. Yeah. Right. And so, that's super interesting to me, but the CSCS, man, you know what that's good for is getting you undergraduate internships. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what that's for, right? Yeah. Like get your CSCS membership, get your NSCA, whatever. Like if you're aiming to be a strength coach and you want to maybe work in the university setting, you want to do whatever that is, that's where I put CSCS. Um, and we have our interns that ask me like, do I need to do this? Should I take this test? Yeah. And I'm like, well, depends what you want to do, but I would recommend it if you're young and looking to get into the field. Yeah. I, I don't know that I could recommend it or I yeah. should recommend it at any other point. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I do the same thing when like young people who try to get to PT school, talk to me, I'm like, Hey, it might yeah. make your resume look a little better. Right. But after and, that, and, who cares? you know, yeah, it's funny because like so speaking of like, so I, I used to work with this one, one woman. So she went to N, NYU and NYU okay. sponsored all her PTs to get CSCS certified. So she's a strength coach. 
Yeah. Now, her background was Pilates and dance. So guess how much she knew about strength training? Nothing. So again, she has her CSCS. She could pass the test. But like, is she actually going to know how to program a deadlift? No, she is not. <laughs> right. Oh. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, are you good at your job? That, yes. That's, yes. and that's a hard question to answer. But like when you, when a good practitioner watches, if you know, you know, right. Yes. And that's the, that's the hardest part about it. And yeah. so unfortunately, like the, the strength and conditioning, the personal training world is like full of, you know, snake oil salesmen, of people that can talk the talk really well. And, yeah. but it's like you have to really vet your people. And this goes back to our, our conversation about like Tony Ferguson, like note people that you want in your corner. Right. And I mean, for lack of a better term, like grappling merit and success counts, right? Like at least that person is going to know what you're going through on a day to day. So they can account for that. Like, again, if you're a strength coach and you've never seen, and you coach MMA athletes and you've never seen an MMA practice, you have to go get some context, yeah. right? Cause, yeah. and, and this is just a personal story. Like two weekends ago, we had a, uh, like a neural health, um, uh, physical therapist or company come to our, our land out performance to give like a continued education talk, yeah. talking about concussions and, and specifically in football. But like we train a huge MMA population and like all of the stuff that they were saying, like I get that it's good information and that they know a lot about the brain and, and this and that, but I'm like, okay, well by your standards, like, none of my MMA athletes should practice ever again. <laughs> right. Like, like we yeah. go through that on a daily, right? Yeah. Like uh, one of my questions to her, she, she says like, you know, if you get flashed, you, you have a concussion. If you have this, like, I was like, so I've literally seen people lose consciousness in the cage for a second during sparring rounds yeah. and then pick back up and go the next round, Yeah, which is not advisable by any means, but it's possible. And it happens. So like, how do I react to that situation? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sorry, yeah, tangent. I would argue that like those flashes probably are still sub concussive blows. Like, because I've been rocked, yeah. that's not a concussion, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and and I think to answer your question, because you know I've taken a lot of concussion courses, and I, you know I fought, so I get it. And, and I've done, I've talked to to pro fighters because when I was in Sacramento, um, so I used to talk to the alpha male guys. Well, one of the coaches there was Chris Holdsworth, so his career was ended because of a concussion, oh. right? And yeah. I don't know if you know who Chris Holdsworth is. He's awesome, awesome. Like, you know, you know, he's one of those guys, like, even to this day, he's a fantastic jiu-jitsu guy. You know, and he used to be, like, one of the better fighters there. So it's kind of frustrating that, you know, concussion ended, ended his career. So those guys, like, listen to me a little bit more because I'm like, hey, like, this is what happens if you don't listen. Yeah. So, right. but, uh, you know, a perfect world um, if you're worried about concussions would be pre-testing. So you do pre-test, post-test. So like, was that concussion? Well, you do some pre-tests. So then afterwards you can kind of run them again. And like, you know, if they pass, then you're like, okay, I don't think. What do you use for a pre-test? Do you use like impact or anything like that? Or do you just have like a, like just a scat? Uh, uh, I mean, like you could use a scat. Um, A lot of it is just like simple stuff. Like, I mean, impact would be like perfect. The problem with impact is it costs like, I don't know, like 30 bucks a person, you know? Um, so, you know, it depends on your, you know, if you, if I was in the UFC, like maybe it's, it's worth it. I think the UFC though, they use a course or what does they use? It's like, um, Oh, C3, C3 logics. Yes. C3 logics yeah. That's what they use. I, last time I was there, I was playing with it yes. a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, if I was a fighter, I would 
you know, but the UFC should do all that stuff. But, you know, it's funny. Like I one time had a, a UFC fighter, current UFC fighter come to me and she's, she's asking me all this concussion stuff. I'm like, why are you bothering Heather Linden at the UFC? Like they'll do this <laughs> yeah. for free, you know, I'm not yeah, doing right. this for free. 100%. So, uh, but to answer your questions, I might even just do like a simple, like a, a balance test. Okay. Like the best is this easy one. You could do scat. I yeah. think, I think the best is part yeah. of the scat anyway. Just so you have okay. some yeah. type of data. Well, it's if you're yeah. if you're not assessing, yeah, you're guessing. You can compare and contrast. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what Austin's problem is. He keeps getting booted, but <laughs> I think we carry on regardless. Yeah. Let's do um, it. Well, one thing that I, I wanted to pe- that piqued my interest, right, is you're talking about like this social credit that you get with fighters, like being a fighter yourself, yeah. having the black belt, like all of this, and like I did my graduate thesis in sociology and it was exactly the same based on weight cutting, right? Like yeah. nobody relies on academic literature for weight cutting. Yeah. Right. Like I feel fairly confident saying that, even though I know <laughs> some people are start starting to, yeah. to uh, get into that. But my, all of my thesis said was like, you get your weight cutting information from your peers and your coaches. Yeah. You do it the best you can. And regardless if it's healthy or not, the social, logic prevails way more than any type of academic or scholastic logic does. How, how do you navigate those orders? Cause I think you do a really good job of well, like one citing your sources, right. Two, knowing the literature really well. Um, so how do you navigate those waters where like, you know, this is in the literature, but you also know that's not really going to sell. Right. I, I guess I got to pick my battles. Like, like yeah. what, what do I actually want to fight? Like, you know, so you take you take weight cutting. So we know weight cutting is not great for you, but like what's what what amount is less bad? And I, I think that's really what's coming down to. It's like, you know, I think if like if you didn't have to weight cut, nobody would. But like maybe we shouldn't be doing these like, you know, when like uh Anthony Rumble was like cutting to welterate whatever whatever he was doing was not was like very bad yeah, um, yeah don't do that <laughs> and, and one of the things i think is helping is there there are some more um credentialed people getting into research who are associated with ufc so you take someone like okay. core peacock he works with um kamar usman um yep. you know duncan french at the ufc ufcpi so like they're putting out some content for for weight cutting specifically. And like, those are people, they work with fighters. So it's like, you know, they have better idea of, of like, what is like a, a range that is within normal for your weight class to cut. Like I'm more, mostly focused on 55 because you know, that, that would have been my weight class if I was going to still fight. So, but like, you know, usually you should be anywhere from like starting your weight cut, you know, like 175 or 170. I forget what it was. It's either like, it's either like 172 or like 168 when you start your weight cut or something. But these are yeah. people that they're getting their data from UFC fighters. So I, I kind of trust their what they do more than the random person. Absolutely. Yeah, you have a lot more applicable knowledge. And then, like you said, I think the, the space is getting fleshed out a little more where yeah. you have some guys like the fight dietitian. You have. Yeah. Um, Dude, he's fucking good. Yeah. Who am I blinking on the name of? Um, well, you got Charles. Guys, my factory X guys use them all the time. God yeah. Oh, Tyler Mitten. Trevor. Yeah, there it is. Tyler Minton. Yeah. Like you have some people that are actually like, like us, like knowledgeable in this space as well as a good professional on top of that. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really where like our paradigm wants to shift to is like, how can we create or help, help people along the way to be that person? Yeah. So I mean, it's knowledgeable in the space and credential as professional. I think that's, that's really the future of like yeah. MMA performance. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, well, well, I was just going to answer your question about the so the, that that social aspect, and and I think sure. so much of it is 
like again, you can look at the literature, you know the sport, like w- what is something you can work with? And, and I think that's where me being a black belt and, you know, I used to fight, like I have a little bit more credibility if I tell so, so, so on. So again, perfect example, yeah. you know, that, that concussion, you know, PT goes and talk to you and you're like, this person doesn't know what she's talking about in relation to fighting versus me. Like I've been concussed. I've done like, I've done fights. I've done Muay Thai. So like, you know, the stuff that I'm telling is like, is, is I know like this is stuff that I would yeah. have listened to. Right. And you've trained while you're concussed. So you know yes. what that yes. feels like and, and you can empathize and sympathize a lot better. Yes. You know, it was funny too. Like a, I, I, this one person who, who just signed up for my course and they're like, well, what, what's your take on an athlete who's injured and getting them back to sport? Like, so like they have a competition and I was like, well, in a perfect world, I wouldn't let them compete, but that's not a perfect world. Like people go in, not a hundred percent. It just, it's mm-hmm. what percent you are okay with them going into And obviously that's up to the fighter. Like TJ Dillashaw, he goes into his fight with like his shoulder was completely compromised. Like he was probably like 30%. Looking back, I see why he did it. Cause I think he's like, well, if I don't fight, like it is pretty much, that was going to be his last fight regardless. Yeah. yeah he had to capitalize on what yeah. he had right there. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, was it a good idea? No, it was not a good idea. It was a bad idea, but like he was probably like, well, if I don't take this fight, I'm going to need surgery. And you know, like, so right now the cert, I don't know if you guys stayed on top of the surgery he got. I'd never right. even heard about this. So, he has a humeral head allograft, which I've never heard before. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, the, with the, so they're taking the, <laughs> shoulder, the head of the shoulder from a cadaver and they replaced yeah. it with his. I've never All heard right. about that before. I didn't know you could do that. I neither did. <laughs> <laughs> when you're TJ Dillashaw, you can do whatever you want, I yeah. guess, right? But, well, how do, you, how do you get your body to not reject that? Because like your body know. rejects fucking ligaments. You're telling me it's not going to reject an actual bone? Mm-hmm. I know. So, I mean, I, it, obviously it's super experimental. I think it was kind of like, let me try this. Cause this is my literally, I think it's, it's it, people were probably telling him, Hey, you need a shoulder replacement. And he's like, well, right. if I take a shoulder replacement, I'm done fighting. So he's like, well, let me try this. You know, yeah, damn. I don't know what, what's, I don't know what will happen if, if it doesn't take, like, I mean, I, I hope they wouldn't like amputate his arm, but you know, I don't know. Hey, but yeah, he got a nice, probably 300 case fucking, uh, yeah. Paid payday out of it before you're on the way out though. So yeah. that's something that's something I always hate is that you have to think about the financials of it too. Because there's zero chance TJ should have took that fight, like you said. No. Yeah. But that's how he fed his family for a whole year, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But then you know, also like there's some things like I remember I was gonna post something before Francis and Gano fought. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's cool, he's gonna make a lot of money, but like, man, like he's gonna go and he's gonna kind of get embarrassed. So it's like at what point is he like affecting his legacy? But then you know what? Like he flipped the. Then he looked fucking great. <laughs> wow, That's dude! Wild. He Alex was down here with me when when yeah. that fight was happening, and I was like, "Oh yeah. shit!" Like I just kept yeah. looking at my phone. We weren't watching. I was it, like, I'm "Looking," like, I was like, "It's still what? it's still going on." Is he what? He's making it all the way. What? <laughs> you know, I, and I was thinking about this today, and I think this is this was affected me. Like I think why I didn't get further in fighting, and I think if you want to be a successful athlete, like you almost have to be delusional with your self-confidence. Yes. Like mm-hmm. you take someone like John Jones, he was posting like he, like a year before he was a champ, he was signing like John Jones, UFC champ. Yep. And then he became yeah. the champion and they became the best fighter ever. And well, like, I, I heard it. Sean O'Malley, oh, same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I heard it really well from from our head coach, Mark Montoya. He's like, he's like, you have to be a little, like, slightly delusional, and that's what yeah. he said, slightly delusional, right? Because you have to be realistic about your skill set. You have to put in the work, and you have yeah. to stay yeah. humble to an extent, but also like, be a little fucking crazy. Yeah. You gotta, you, you gotta believe in yourself a little yeah. too much. Yeah, you know, it's funny because like I was like, you know, I'm like, for me, like, I, you know, you know, I'm in my my mid 30s, and I still want to do some like higher level grappling competitions. So I'm like, yeah, but that guy's going to beat me. And that guy's going to beat me. I'm like, you can't think like that because then, nope. 100%. so that, that's always what hurt me. That's okay. Yeah, dude. I was the same way, unfortunately, yeah. but that's why we're on this side and helping the people yeah. that are delusional. That's and that's why we're going to get some good mental, uh, mental performance yeah. coaches. Yeah. Um, all right, Mike, uh, we're going to wrap this up, but you have kin stretch courses available online, correct? Correct. Yes. Where, where do they go to get access to the kin stress course, the CEs, basically anything yeah. we've talked about, where are people going to so they can buy that? Probably best would be on my website. I would just say go to my Instagram, uh, doctor underscore kickass. I have a link um, pretty much on the website of access to kin stretch. I'm going to have treating the jiu-jitsu athlete. I'm working on a bunch of different courses. I'm still probably uh, several months away from getting the striking athlete one out. Um, okay. But I, I really want to get that one out as well. Um, if you're a healthcare professional, again, I really try to get CEUs because you're going to get, you're going to take a course that you're going to hate. You might as well take something you're interested in. Um, yeah. You know, now after talking to you, I'll see if I can get Cairo credit. We'll see how that goes. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. I know, I know a bunch of Cairo's that'll appreciate that. Cause I, I um, take, yes. I've already taken your course. I loved it. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually I think I took the, you did a weekend course, right? That Heather was a part of. Yep. Yep. That was the, that was the grappling athlete that where I met, um, uh, uh, Mike Rotala. Okay. Yeah. So I took that yeah. one. I absolutely fucking loved it. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to the striking athlete too. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for coming on Mike. Yeah, dude. Hey, I appreciate you. Me. Yeah. For the people at home, if you got to get in, get in touch with us, all of our information is going to be in the show notes along with Mike's handle as well for Instagram. Um, if you guys are looking for any strength conditioning programs and, or, where it's custom team or preset options. Those are going to be available at buildingafighter.com. Those are buildingafighter.com. And as always, this is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And Dr. Mike Pekersky, also known as Dr. Kickass. And we are out.